Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 93. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have back with us the award-winning and internationally celebrated author, Amy Lawrence. And Amy, I just you are the you are um, my first guest to have three times. So I'm so honored. Thank you for having me back a third time. That's right. You're uh, that's what we said. Yeah, and you you've now reached the you've now reached the level of friend of the podcast. So I think we can awesome. put that badge <laughs> that I could put on my website or something. I, I think I think I should maybe I should get on Photoshop yeah. and make friend of the <laughs> friend of story comic presents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I so just so this is uh, there. I didn't realize. I don't know if this is a pat a, a very uh, interesting pattern that we've set up here. So this is episode ninety three. Last time we were on was episode 73. And before that, it was episode 53. Nice. We weren't even planning that. Like every no, 20 episodes. This is something that we have to roll with now. This is the universe telling us that this is this is our pattern. <laughs> That's right. So so we can expect you to come back on episode 113 then, I guess, That's right? Fine. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't shock me entirely because with the time zone differences, the only times I'm available to actually speak with you is during my school holidays, which happen on a relatively regular cycle. <laughs> this is not altogether surprising, but that's awesome that it worked out so precisely. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I also, I just noticed too, I was just like, I, I like, you know, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, ever since basically is like when I would, I, I became a fan of Australia since the eighties, you know, when I was growing up as, as, I was a, as born, a kid. You mean. That's right. And you were born. Yeah. See, yeah. <laughs> so you're like, would you technically be a millennial or are you, are you? Yeah, millennial? I'm millennial. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um, and so it was, you know, what, it, and I just saw in the news that they actually ended up having reintroducing the Tasmanian devil in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, it's been like three thousand years or something, right? That. Oh, uh, so the, the the Tassie Devil. So there's the Tassie Tiger and there's the Tassie Devil, right? Right. The Tassie Tiger is our little Australian cryptid, except it's not a cryptid because it actually was real. The Thalassian. Um, the Thalassian. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that one went extinct. The last known specimen died in the very very early 1900s. And of course, it is now a cryptid, and there are periodic sightings mm -hmm. of it um, throughout the mainland and things like that. The Tassie Devil um, is a different creature altogether, which is about a quarter of the size and four times as vicious. <laughs> <laughs> now called devils for a reason. Um, they're adorable, though. Are you you guys would be familiar with them through Looney Tunes, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, we know the Tasmanian Devil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the Tassie, real Tassie Devils are much much smaller than the Looney Tunes make out. They're about sort of yay right. size, like think large cat ish size, a large right. house cat that is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they've, they've been in um, a breeding program in Tasmania um, for quite a while. You know, they've only they've been available available. You know what I mean? They've only been found in the wild in Tasmania, um, and have been. In a breeding program to try and protect them and to work on maintaining bloodlines and things like that. And yeah, they've just successfully reintroduced some into the wild, which is pretty cool. So. Right. And you guys, and you're just, and it, we're on the and the verge of how there was like a 2019 when you had that, the, the Australian bush wildfires. 
2019 was it 2019 it was 2019 oh, because then then everything was all about the australian wildfires and all of a sudden COVID 19 came and everybody right. stopped talking about the Segway australian wildfires COVID, that's it exactly we had this crazy run for yeah. us it, we talk about the bushfires as being the 2020 bushfires because um they really peaked in the january so our summer obviously is december january february right. but for us they peaked in january um and so for whatever reason, I don't know. But, yes, technically it was the beginning, end of 2019 because I was at my mom's house for Christmas and the whole sky right. was orange. Right. I have photos of it. It's, it's amazing. Um, and we went straight from the bushfires or the wildfires into this period of absolutely just ridiculous weather where for about a week up and down the whole east coast of Australia, everywhere was smashed by flooding wow. and um, massive, massive hailstorms. And we had a bout of hail go through here. And honestly, you, you can still drive around town and see cars that have got the, the hail damage from over a year ago. The car repairs were booked out for months and months and months just trying to get it all fixed. Right. Uh, and the hailstones were, you know, golf ball sized plus with like all the little jagged spikes coming out and everything. It looked like something from like Independence Day or some <laughs> sort of Wi-Fi horror film type thing, you know? So we went straight from smoke and being unable to breathe and having to have like air purifier readings daily at school to know whether it was safe for students to come to school because of the the poor air quality right. into these storms into with like then like a three-week reprieve and then into COVID lockdowns. So, right. yeah, last 18 months have been a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was more than 18 months. We're all, yeah, it's like, yeah, about 18 months yeah, when it started. Oh, my goodness. So needless to say, how is like the, the atmosphere of Australia with, you know, with vaccination rates? This is probably the one of the, like, that people are starting to feel like, of some like light at the end of the tunnel now, basically. Right. Um, I don't know. It's pretty variable here in Australia because we never had a significant wave to begin with. There is a right. lot of, there's a lot of variability in public opinion as to how urgent it is, I guess. Right. Um, we're just in the middle of experiencing a new wave um, of cases with the Delta strain in Sydney and this is our first, I mean, Melbourne was in lockdown for a pretty significant period of time as well. Um, so this is, experts are pretty worried that this is going to get out and going to become a, a second big wave throughout right. the whole Australia. Um, and I guess that's putting back into the spotlight the need to get the vaccines out a bit faster than maybe we have been in the past. Right. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So. Yeah. yeah, we've been we've been pretty lucky here because of the the zero tolerance strategy that the government chose to adopt. It means that we've seen lots of uh, short hard lockdowns. So anytime there's like you know, ten cases, it's like great lock that area of the city down, no movement and things like that, mm. which has been great in terms of controlling it um, up to this point. But the problem is that there's you know a bit of public fatigue now. I think around having to be locked down for what is perceived to be a low number of cases, particularly compared to global uh, experiences. There's a really interesting article in The New Scientist just two weeks ago actually looking at the, the top five countries in the world uh, that had been dealing with COVID. Australia was one of them and Japan was another. And just noting that three of those five are currently backsliding out of the top five category 
and also experts speculating on how much longer it is actually feasible to maintain a zero tolerance policy and at what point we may have to consider stri- switching strategies as a as a more long term sustainable approach. So right. watch this space. And then, and and then, in your territory, how are how are the how are things going? Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. For now, it it has really minimal impact on me personally. We had our very first compulsory masks order, um, the last not this week, but the the two weeks previous, and that's the first time that we've had a compulsory masking in our state, Uh, and we didn't even have any cases in the state. It's just because of the flare up that's been happening. You know, Sydney's three hours away, but it's also the closest city, basically. So. There's a lot of permeability with that. And we're, we're entirely surrounded by New South Wales. We're just a little island state here. Um, but, yeah, so far we haven't had anything come from Sydney and so masks are off again uh, as a compulsory thing here in Canberra. Schools have opened for Term 3 as normal this week. And... Um, watch this space we'll see what happens pretty sure that excursion that my classes have been planning for sydney in four weeks time is uh, not going to be a go <laughs> <laughs> i think we'll be rescheduling that <laughs> yeah because it's uh yeah it's winter it's a, it's yeah. a, the winter season for you there it's when, it's when it's winter in australia what is what's the temperature um do, i mean it varies wildly we have if you go all the way up to the top of the north that is closer to the equator than florida is so there's not much of a winter to speak of there but if you go all the way south to tasmania that's the equivalent of about and i'm gonna test out my american geographical knowledge here it's closer to the equator than new york so we don't get as cold as cold america does right um where i live here in canberra in the act Average daytime temperature is probably like 10 to 12 degrees, which let me do a really quick calculation here. Temperature, Celsius, 12, so it's like low 50s Fahrenheit. Okay. Um, down to a bit below freezing. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's cold, but it's not like we don't get snow here. One, right. we, we get one snow once a year. And we're lucky if it settles on the ground, right? Really? Okay. All right. Like, yes, it's winter now because there was like half a centimeter of snow for three seconds on the la- on the strip out the front of the house. You know, there's <laughs> snow in Australia, but there is one place in Australia that you go to do like skiing and snow sports and things like that, and that's about two and a half hours south of here. So, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> like skiing central in Australia, and that's your only option. Right. <laughs> So, so, so with this, so this is like around this time of season. When it, when is your, uh, do you, do you, how, how does it work? Is it, you know, your, your, your writing and your, your, your creative side? Is there, can you kind of follow it based off of like seasons or is it months or weeks? Like what, what's your, is this the time of year where you kind of check it, you see yourself um, being able to get behind the keyboard more or is, or, or is this actually the time where you're, behind it less because of the winter vacations and stuff. I actually literally was just thinking about this last night. So back when I first started writing back in like the early 2010s, so it was about 2007 that I started keeping serious work with my writing. And for about like five years or so, I kept a, a, like a monthly spreadsheet of my, pardon me, of my writing totals and actually got Excel to put it into a little graph for me. And it's really cool because the graph showed like, 
so much consistency from year to year that I didn't even realize was there. And then I started full-time work as a teacher and then I became a parent and then it was like, schedule what? (laughs) Um, And I was literally just thinking last night that now I'm probably back in enough of a rhythm again that I'd really like to take my writing numbers from the last three years and do a graph from them again and actually see if there are any picks and troughs like that because I know I know that January is always an amazing month for writing for me that's when I get a lot of my writing for the year done because I have no schoolwork for the whole of January right that's how summer holidays um and so I try and get that done as much as I can then um and then I also know that June tends to be really really slow because it's coming into winter the days are getting shorter i discovered like last year which why did this not occur to me before right that my vitamin d levels get really low in winter who'd have right. think <laughs> so, um, i have to take vitamin d over winter now and like amazingly shockingly enough that makes a massive difference to both my mood and productivity <laughs> uh, vitamin d, it's a thing we should all have so june is always pretty slow because of the the weather and also because it's a really busy time at school as well it's mm-hmm. the end of first semester for us so it's all like reports and final grading and all that sort of stuff for the semester july tends to be okay because i've got a three-week holiday break so that tends to sort of be a catch-up month for me um and sure enough this july like i have not done much writing this year (laughs) (laughs) but of of the small amount of writing that i've done i've done probably about a third of my word count so far for this year in july wow okay Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so, and you just have uh, recently, you just said you had a, you had a, you had a book that you, that since, uh, since we just, uh, we talked last. I did. Like, the Bones, is it? It's on here. Yeah. Bones of the Sea. Let me try and get that sort of from the window in front of me. Okay. Bones of the Sea. No, we just, we just got reflections happening. That's okay. There we go. You get the point. (laughs) So I think when I chatted to you guys last, it was, um, it would have been around April and I would have just finished the Kickstarter for this back, which happened in like March, April. Um, And I had set the deadline of like getting everyone's rewards out by the end of April. (laughs) April came and went and I had not, finished writing the book yet (laughs) I was like okay I need another really hard deadline and so I put it up for pre-order everywhere and I was like okay 7th of June that's that's like plenty of time it's like two months away I will definitely be able to get the book written by then I've only got like five to ten thousand words left this will be fine I can do this and then work got really busy because I got like a, a temporary promotional position this last term and um, I was like, that's okay. The distributors only need the files 48 hours before release, right? So I can push this right up to the 5th of June, the long weekend coming up. It's going to be fine. We'll do this. Anyway, Draft the Digital emails me two weeks before. And it's like, so we need the final files 10 days before your release date. I'm like, that's this. <laughs> it's like Sunday and that's this Friday. So, yeah, I didn't get much sleep that week. <laughs> but I did get the book done and I did get it to the distributors in time and it even had a time for a round of edits so that was that was my next question I was going to ask you is like how did you do the uh, the edits of that so how long would that take to my my darling amazing friend Liana Brooks uh who mm-hmm. is my publishing partner 
we were talking about this just before, right? We're really lucky that she is really good at content edits uh, and big picture edits, and she's actually a freelance editor and does some work for that. And I am better at line edits and copy edits, and I do some freelance work for that. Right. Um, and so I was in a very privileged position to be able to be like, Liana, I finished. If I finish the book on Thursday, my time. Can you read it during the day of Thursday on your time, and then have it back to me by Friday morning? And then I've got Friday to frantically do edits in between teaching my classes and upload it to all the distributor sites before I go to bed on Friday night. So. Oh wow! Oh my goodness. <laughs> That is what we did. Thankfully, because, you know, it's it's relatively short. It's like a 70-page story. It's about 11,000 words, I think. Okay. Um, so it didn't it didn't require really intensive edits. So Yeah. <laughs> so real quick, what's the what's the what's the what's the synopsis of the of the book? Uh, so there we live in a world, we live in a world uh, where this carnivorous mist comes in from the ocean unpredictably every so often and just like devours everything in its path um, oh. human and animal and as part of this though they're not sure how it's connected to begin with right um there is this extremely strict prohibition on touching bones you just you do not touch bones to the point where um, and even like it says in the in the book, even if someone gets a broken bone and has a bone injury, they send them out of the district to go and be treated at one of the other hospitals. Because uh, in this little district on this little uh, base of this island, you you do not touch bones. Um, and of course, of course, mild spoilers for the first part of the book here. Our lovely protagonist gets caught in a situation where she is trapped between the encroaching carnivorous mist. And the only potential solution that she has is to just go all in and touch these bones and see if these old children's nursery rhymes about the bones is, is true mm. and see if they can offer her some protection against this carnivorous mist. So it's sort of this choice of like, die now, die later, die now, die later. Well, I'm going to pick die later and we'll deal with that problem when we come to it. Um, and so she does. And then, of course, she has to deal with said problem. So, is 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 it kind of like a one now? Your your stories, there. Your stories. Is it? Is there a shared universe piece on this, or is this kind of a one-off where there's? You never know. There might be more in the. You might be more in the world. Um, we'll right. see. I really enjoyed putting together the world building for it, and it was really one of those. Um, stories that really just came together as I was writing it um there's a so when I do the kickstarter version I do like a little letter from the author as well that goes in it uh, and goes out with them and in that I talk about the writing process for this one because I had such a hard deadline and I just had to get it done and I didn't really have a plan for what was happening going in and I knew I had this little fan kit mini that I had put together right for the kickstarter that I had to put together for the kickstarter I actually kind of did the whole book process in reverse in that I'd written the first half of the book and then I went shopping for the items for the Kickstarter and was really? like, all right, what are some cool items okay. that kind of match the vibe of this world that I'm trying to create? All right, awesome, I need to include those touch points in the story and I know that those are going to be the elements that then have to drive the plot from here on. So, yeah, the world really came together in a really kind of spontaneous sort of way. And we'll see, maybe I'll go back and play there again sometime, but for now it's a standalone, so yeah. Uh, like, what was your inspiration behind this? The whole story itself? Yeah. 
Man, that is such a good question. I started writing this over Christmas up at my in-laws place mm -hmm. because I just wanted to write something quick. It was quick. It's just that the quickness was drawn out over a period of like nearly six months. But <laughs> tallying up the actual time I spend on it, it was quick. Um, I just, I wanted to write something quick and I really wanted to create something that gave this really sort of eerie but beautiful sort of atmosphere at the same time and really work hard on playing with my language to try and develop that tone and that feeling more than anything else. Right. And so the first section of this book actually stands alone as a short story of its own and it does that kind of, um, you know, the gimmick that like the crime genre uses a lot where it's like, here's a person going about their daily life. Oh, look, now they're dead. Hmm. And then the rest of the book is like, well, let us solve the mystery of how that person died. <clears throat> so I borrowed that that um, trope and that's how this book starts. And so I knew that I wanted to have this man walking down the beach and have the waves come up and like devour him. And I knew about the bones and it just kind of went from there, you know? Right. One of those really cool stories that just kind of unspooled itself. And then, as I said, pulled in this inspiration from other places when I had to like actually go shopping for a Kickstarter for a book that I hadn't finished yet and be like, well, I'm committing to have this, this, and this in there. You know, I, I don't know. Can I do spoilers? I don't know. Go, <laughs> go by the fan bit, you know, go by the fan bit. <laughs> yeah. I don't, did you, there was a, there was a story that happened. It was like in, in, in Cameroon. Did you hear about this gas that killed an entire village in Cameroon in 1986? It was this. It, oh, the lake. Yeah, it burped up this gaseous. Yeah, this, this, the, this, this poisonous gas. It was yeah. carbon. I think it was a carbon. I can't remember what it was. And it just because it was the low density, it just yeah. went right through the village at night. And yeah, which is awful. Right. But a really cool concept for fiction. Yeah. Yeah. It's always like, <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so you're, and so what, what are your, and you're still working on, I mean, and also too, you're still working on your, your rush job, your Solarium Blue series. True. Yeah. Um, I mean, kind of in the background. So, well, actually, no, that's about to come to the foreground. <laughs> okay. Hang on. So this is the book that you're talking about here. Ah, it is here. I promise it's here. It's, here we go. This one here, right? Rush job in the witch blue universe. Right. I'm there. Um, and that is like a little standalone adventure that happens with characters. Ah, you, know, you probably won't ever see those characters again necessarily unless I get a whole bunch of feedback of people being like, we love this character, right? <laughs> it's very much just like a, a taste of the world rather than anything in the main stories at all. Right. But that whole series has um, this backstory. I don't know if I've told you about this one before or not. Stop me if I have. That's fine. Um this backstory of how humans went to space in the first place because it's a sci-fi where like humans have sprawled out amongst the stars and that sort of thing uh and the backstory for it involves my year eight class from two years ago because somehow i decided it was a really good idea to promise 25 teenagers right. that i would make them all main characters in a book I don't know if you've ever tried to write a book with 25 main characters before, but it is really complicated. 
Yeah, I don't even think George R. R. Martin had 25 main no, characters in his. That's yeah. for good reason. The man yeah. is more comfortable than I. <laughs> but nevertheless, I have now promised children that this will be a thing. So it took me like a year to wrap my head around how on earth I would actually physically tell a story with right. 25 main characters. Uh, and now the pressure is on to actually get that done by the end of the year because some of the kids involved are clearly no longer in year eight because that was two years ago. Um, and they're leaving the school at the end of the year and they keep, every time they see me, they're like, Miss, story? I'm like, yes, yes, I know, I know. It's coming, it's happening. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that's my next project that I'm actually going to, I'm going to wrap up this um, short piece of fiction that I'm working on at the moment that has been my holiday palette cleanser. Right. Uh, and then I'll be diving into what's called Moonshot, uh, which is the origin of the Witch Blue universe, courtesy of my year eight class. So. Okay. And that is going to be, uh, and th that's going to be like, you know, similar to, is it going to be similar to um, your, you know, Where the Shadows Rise there? Is this going to be like three books or is it going to be one big book or what is? Uh, just, it's just going to be the one. Okay. Um, it will be pitched at the same age group. So it's in that, I don't know, my brain does weird things. I know we've talked about this before. This is part of the reason why I do my own publishing because <laughs> I just, my brain goes weird places and I yeah. need to be able to like follow the squirrel, you know? Right. Right. Like if my brain is like, hey, shiny idea squirrel, I'm like, yep, we need to be able to follow that, <laughs> um, which I'm kind of having stern conversations with myself at the moment about the fact that I have two open series right now that need to be finished. Right. They're not the shiny squirrels right now, so eh, eh, you know. Um, but so so Moonshot's in this weird situation where it is going to be a standalone middle grade novel, introducing a story world that will be very much not a middle grade story world. Right. <laughs> anyway, but it'll stand alone, so it can be its own little thing, and that's all right. Yeah. And, and and so and that was the one that you're telling us about that has different powers based off of your um, Myers Briggs results. I'm just I'm so impressed that you remember that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like I tell people about story stuff, I kind of expect it to just be like, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's the universe uh, where the Myers Briggs personality type index in, uh, determines your superpowers. And this origin story of the kids is the story of how these superpowers actually came about in the first place. And there's a whole bunch of cool science um, biology behind that. I had to go and like determine different types of bacteria and gut health and all this sort of thing. So I, it's not that any of this will necessarily show in this. It's, it's the iceberg principle, you know, like you'll see like that much in the story, but I've got right. this underneath that's all like, Yes, these superpowers are supported by biology and current contemporary science to do with gut health and bacterial impacts on the brain and all these sorts of things. It's very exciting. And yes, I did make my entire year eight class take Maya Briggs personality type tests so that I could give them their accurate superpowers for the book. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. So do you, so as a, you're, I guess my, like, are you like a, when you when you're putting this together, it's like, do you have to? I don't know, just from a legalese perspective, like, are you making them specifically their names and them, or do you have to like get their parents to sign off on that? Or this is just more of like a, um, you know, like an inspiration of them, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I've told them all really clearly that the only similarity is their first name. That's it. That's all they right. get. 
Right. Um, so they can recognize their own first name and then everything else based on that is just whatever the story needs to happen at the time. And kids are pretty forgiving with that and it's pretty cool because a bunch of them will even do things like, can I die at the end of the story? Can I be the bad guy, please? Um, so, you know, they're, they're pretty generous in giving you a lot of leeway when it comes right. to maligning their good name and trash uh, <laughs> for them. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, no, it's it's just it's first name only so that they can recognise themselves and then everything else is just that that's up for discussion depending on the needs of the story at the time. So, right. yeah. Okay, cool. So there you got some other stuff that I saw since we, we talked last that's on your website. Yeah. I don't know if you wanted to um, chat a bit about this too that you have <laughs> on here. So tell us what is cook with Amy? What is what is cook with Amy? Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> and this is all for anybody. So listening here, like who are, who are listening to this, um, listening to this, go to amylawrence.com. And right there, Amy has a nice list of stuff, and we'll have this in the show notes for people to just, you know, click on their phone to see that to see that the link to this. So it's amylawrence.com, um, and you have a new tab on here called "Cook with Amy." So I uh, I didn't see that before, so I, I was kind of curious to see what this is all about. Look, it's a work in progress, and it's kind of an <laughs> We just talked about my brain and the squirrels, right? We, <laughs> and <there's, clears throat> so this is this is where my highly suspected ADHD comes in, right? <clears throat> um, in that I chronically have more projects going than I really should have. <laughs> sane, and I mean that very literally and not in an ableist sense at all. I mean... <sighs> I have more projects going than I can do and stay sane and maintain my mental health. Right. Um, and this is one of them. So it's kind of fallen a little bit by the wayside in the last term as like if you've been stalking my website at all, you will see that there is like nothing new on there since the end of April because I got this temporary promotion at work and the wheels have just fallen off all of my um, mm. authorial promotional stuff. And I'll be, I'm planning to get back to that next week, hopefully. But Cook with Amy, so it's been kind of abandoned, but I'm hoping to pick it up again soon. And it came from a couple of things. So I work with a really amazing bunch of people at work, right? And at one point, I was having this fantastic lunchtime conversation with a friend about books and about, you know, symbolism and meaning of books and things like that. And we looked at each other and we went, this would make a really cool podcast, you know? And someone who was sitting nearby listening was like, yeah, it would. You, you guys should record this. You should do a podcast. So for most of last term, we did a weekly podcast for the students uh, on the text that they were, pardon me, that they were studying for year 10. Hmm. So we had a year 10 podcast going and that was really cool. Um, and everyone got super into it and there's like theme music for it and everything and we're hopefully going to continue it next term. And anyway, it was all very cool, right? Around about the same time, I was also in the process of trying to revamp my recipe collection because while I really like cooking in the abstract as a thing over there that I do sometimes, the whole having to do dinner like every single night, it's like, what do you mean we need to eat a meal again? We just did that yesterday. <laughs> oh, it annoys me so much. I'm not good with things that require like small amounts daily, you know, like give me a task that's like a 12 hour task that I can just like sit down, 
focus for 12 hours, smash that out and be like, yes, I achieved the thing. And I am like, yes, this is my optimal performance zone. Give me something where it's like, okay, that's cool, but you need to do 12 hours, but you have to do like five minutes of that every day for as long as it takes to get to 12 hours. And I am like, no, <laughs> no, don't do this to me, right? So cooking every day is a pain in the backside. We had been getting some of those, I don't know, I guess you guys have something similar in America where it's like food boxes where they deliver all the ingredients to your house in a box with the recipes and then like you cook what they told you to cook. Do you guys oh, have yeah. things like that? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so we had tried a few of those and they were really cool and I really appreciated the fact that I didn't have to choose what to cook every night. I just had to do what the box told me to do, right? But also, we all know that when the box says it's going to take you 35 minutes to make the meal, you're like, sweetie, I'm in for an hour in the kitchen right now. You know, like, that's just, that's not realistic or plausible on any level. Right. And like cooking shows like Jamie Oliver, who, bless, does amazing meals and is like, this is going to take you 15 minutes to put together and stands behind a kitchen bench where everything has been thoroughly pre-prepped, you know, and like his bell pepper peppers are like perfectly diced and his onion is already pre-sliced and I'm like yeah you know what did it take for me 15 minutes to put that together if I had a team of paid chefs to do all the prep work <laughs> that's not fair so anyway I was in the process of revamping my recipes to create our own food box style thing for our house because the food boxes are great but they're you know they're not the cheapest way of getting your groceries and there's a lot of plastic packaging involved. Right. So I was like, right, I will just scan in every single recipe I own that I might ever want to cook and I will put it together in bundles of five and I will make a shopping list for that bundle of five. And so every four, every week all we have to do is just pick a random bundle. There's the shopping list. It's done. We don't have to think about what to eat. Bam, let us, you know, make this process easier. And anyway, I was telling people at work about this and they were like, that sounds amazing. We would totally pay for that. I'm like, that's cool, but I don't have the copyright to the recipes. So this is not a thing I can do. They're like, no, but ingredient lists are not copyright. You can't copyright an ingredient list. Huh. And they were like, and so, what? yeah, apparently this is a thing. So my friend informs me and she worked in, um, she worked in an industry that would, would know. So before she was a teacher. So um, she was like, oh, you could just do like a video of yourself making the recipe. And I was like, I could. But then I would have to have a clean kitchen every time I wanted to make it. <laughs> that is just not a thing that is going to happen more than like once a year. <laughs> so that kind of collided with the podcast idea, right? And I was like, oh, well, I don't actually have to do visuals necessarily. Maybe I could just do audio only. Mm -hmm. And anyway... For the last couple of years, so I don't know, have I have I talked about the bus, capital letters, the bus, you know? I don't know. I don't know I if we have. I, have. I don't think I have. So because, again, I apparently, our family needs more projects in its life. Are we still thinking things <laughs> yet? We bought a bus in 2019. And by bus, I mean like a 42-seater coach bus. What? And my husband is in the process because he's amazing and an architect. Right. Of converting it into a camper van slash mobile office for himself. And it's pretty cool. Like, you know, like the cargo bay down underneath where you normally put all your luggage and stuff when you're yeah. traveling in coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be converted to be the kid's bedroom. So they're going to go downstairs through a trap door downstairs and, like, that's their bedroom. Under anyway, it's very cool. Um, so he is away a lot because we don't have space in Canberra to be working on the bus. 
And so he's, he'd been traveling to Sydney for that. And so I had a lot of evenings by myself. And I was like, right, children, go play upstairs where I can't hear you for half an hour. <laughs> Let me test out this idea. And anyway, it turns out that talking to myself for a half hour, 45 minutes while I cook dinner is actually a really good incentive for me to actually cook dinner when my husband is away. <laughs> <laughs> And so that's what I did. I recorded myself a few times cooking dinner. And the whole point of it is that it is directly live. I have not pre-prepared anything. There are knowing, like literally you have to listen to me getting my ingredients out of my pantry even and rummaging around being like, I know the rice is here somewhere. I'm just going to move the cereal and the sultanas out of the way and try to find the rice in my pantry. So it's a very realistic interpretation of actually how long these recipes take you to cook, right? <laughs> And it's supposed to be like a beginner friendly as well. So y'all can like follow along, put it on your speakers and whatever and get out the list of ingredients and be like, right, I can chop just as fast as Amy can because she's not a professional chef. <laughs> yeah, it's been super fun. I'd really like to continue doing it. Um, I don't know how quickly I will be adding recipes. My, my intent was to do it once a month, but everything kind okay. of fell apart last term. So who knows? Um, but, yeah, it's been super fun and, I don't know, if it gets enough popularity eventually then it could spiral off and be its own little website thing or something but also maybe not because, again, too many projects in my life do I need more. Um, but in the meantime, it's been fun. So, yeah, that is the that is the story behind Cook with Amy. <laughs> and, and you have also on here, like you, you have an art store, so you actually yeah. do your own art. Yeah. We've always talked to you as an author. We've never talked to you here as an artist. I, yeah, I did a lot of art in high school. Um, I was one of the kids in year 11 and 12 who like carried a sketchbook around with me to every class to scribble in while I was listening. Again, like looking back, so many signs that I had ADHD and we just, we, we never realized this was a thing, you know? Anyway, um, <laughs> and then for years and years, I didn't have, space in my life to actually do anything with it and what really brought art back in a big way was was two things um secondarily was right. the kickstarters and the fact that I, I wanted to have cool art to go with the kickstarters and so I invested in a set of Copic markers <laughs> so that I could do fun artwork for that but the the primary motivating factor to get back into it is the images that you see a lot of those come from the inklets uh, and so I really wanted the inklets to have an illustration at the, at the beginning of each of them, A, because it would be cool, and B, because it adds another page of content. Right. <laughs> and, of course, I just I, I could not afford to pay someone else to come and do the illustrations for wow. what is going to be a 120-book series. Like, I can't afford to pay someone for 120 illustrations, not and pay them a fair rate for right. their time, right. you know. So I was like, all right, well, this is my excuse to get back into art again. And, um, yeah, so I've done all the illustrations for, for the inklets. So, you know, puppies and, I don't know, all sorts. I think this one's a dog as well, actually, just coincidentally. There you go, another dog. So each one of your inklets has one illustration? One, one illustration in the front, yeah. Although I think this one, so there's that. And then I think because it is a double issue, uh, I think that the double issue ones have two illustrations in them. Oh, no, this one doesn't. Okay. Maybe some of the double issue ones have two okay. illustrations. Yeah. So, yeah, they all have at least one illustration in them. 
And so when you're talking about your um, issues of like keeping a buffer up there, what was, what, what was, what was some of the deciding factors that make some of them double issues? Um, actually it was a word count thing more than anything else. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Double, the double issue stories tend to be under a thousand words each. And okay. so we bundle two, two flash fictions together to, to give it a bit more value for money. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. And so what, what, what's do, I don't know if, if, if you saw this is like one of my buddies was, was talking to me about this today that Amazon just launched, um, Kin Kindle Vela. I saw that phrase somewhere like literally yesterday when I was researching something else, but I have not heard about what it is yet. It's almost like what you do with your inklets. It's like a serial version, serialized version of Kindle. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like doing long form, form novels, but in a serial format. Right. Makes sense. Um, yeah, that seems to be a real trend. I think particularly uh, with the rise of, of streaming TV, People are so used to consuming their fiction now in serial format because we watch a TV show and it's in serial episodes. Right. And then it's also organized into larger seasons. And so really what you're talking about is chapters in books in a series, right? Uh, and so I think that that's a really exciting possibility. Vela is not the first place to do it. There's a couple of other places. Um, Radish was one of the first places okay. to do it for, for um, written fiction. I think it's a really exciting development that really mirrors what we're seeing in terms of how people are digesting a lot of their content. And I think that it's a really, I think it's a really beneficial way of thinking about stories as well to a large extent. I mean, it's, it's not, this is certainly not the first time this happened. This is how Dickens wrote right. of his work, right? As he was serializing it in the, the weekly newspapers and whatnot. Um, and it does lend a really nice sense of structure to your work because you've got that sort of, episodic style and it's not for everyone and it's not for every book right. but it's cool that it's a there as an option you know like my kids um finished have just have just gotten into audiobooks which i'm so excited about because <laughs> our car trips so much more manageable now um they tore through the faraway tree series and we've just done the uh the wishing chair series as well both enid blighton and i was just thinking as we finished the last wishing chair book yesterday coming home how interesting it is that a lot of that old fiction is really episodic in nature. Uh, and even things like, you know, Anne of Green Gables is probably what I'll go next with them. And again, something that's really episodic and lends itself really well to that kind of structure. So yeah, I think that's a really exciting development. Right. Sure. Yeah. And so do you, do you, do you foresee yourself with either ink print, ink print press or, um, or with just your Amy Lawrence specific work do you see yourself maybe starting to utilize a serialized Kindle format at all? It will depend. It, if we're talking about Vela in particular, it will very heavily depend on their terms and conditions. Amazon is a big fan of exclusivity. Right. Um, and I'm a big fan of publishing in as many venues as you possibly can to make your income stream as broad as possible and so that you are less reliant on one particular company. Uh, you know, I've already been this last couple of weeks has just been a complete headache and a nightmare because one of our distributors, one of our key distributors has completely changed the way that they do stuff at their back end. And that's having a really big impact on what we're having to do in terms of our workflow for publishing each title. And it's really annoying on so many levels to be so beholden to other companies for your income, you know, like I can, I can make as many books as I like, but unless there are distributors who can get those out to readers for me, 
I'm kind of hamstrung in this career, you know? So yeah, Amazon tends to like exclusivity a lot. And I prefer to not have to rely solely on one company for my income when it comes to this. So I would have to have a really good look at the terms and conditions. Um, Radish though, I've been looking into, I've had, hmm, I've had half of how not to acquire a castle sitting on Radish for me to like waiting for me to upload the other half so I can hit go. So it's available for sale there for uh, at least 18 months. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of something I plan to investigate. It just hasn't risen to the top of the priority. Right. Yet, you know. Yeah. So, so with that said, do you, so when you, when you do your self-publishing then, so you don't do it through exclusive through like Kindle direct, then you. We go through KDP through okay. Kindle publishing. Yeah, absolutely. But not Kindle select. Okay. Um, yeah. So Kindle okay. select is where you have to go. If you want to be able to do things like having free discount days and particular sale promotions and things like that. And it puts you into Kindle unlimited KU. Okay. Which subscription model service so readers pay uh, a particular fee per month and then can sign up and read an unlimited number of books for that fee in the month so it's a good deal for the for the reader but in terms of having to offer exclusivity to amazon as an author i'm less comfortable with that i mean some people do it and they make a killing doing it so fantastic you know great right. for them. that's obviously the right decision for their business at the time um so it's not a judgment call it's just not something that i'm personally comfortable doing that's all so how does that, so I'm just kind of, just from an author perspective is like, does that, could, you can't have two ISBN numbers for the same book, right? You can have two ISBNs for the same book as long as they're different editions or different formats or different. Okay. Et cetera. Yeah. Like say for instance, you wanted to just to do one through like KDP select or something where you would just Kindle select. So you would have that, but then say, um, 10th anniversary edition or call it something else or or yeah i mean i guess there would be ways to get around it i don't i don't know um yeah and you hear stories for example i know one author in particular who doesn't have the rights to her novels back from the traditional publisher but never signed away serial uh, never signed away anthology rights and so she can't sell the books independently as an independent author but she can bundle all three books together and sell the collection like the complete series collection of it um so there's yeah there's there's always tricky ways around things like that but i don't know at the moment because i'm in australia anyway my my audience is naturally going to be a lot more global than if i was possibly like an american in america promoting to american audiences anyway Right. Um, and so I can reach to other venues and get readership through those other venues as well. And so it's, I guess it's just not ever been something that I necessarily needed to prioritize going into deep detail about when it comes to Amazon select. And like you can get in and out of the select program. It's a 90 day exclusivity thing. And so I know authors also that use it really successfully by using it as like a 90 day pre-order for everywhere else and it's in kindle select for 90 days and then it goes wide to everywhere else after that once you get the rights back from that 90 days so yeah there are are certainly ways to integrate it into your publishing workflow for sure right wow so yeah it's it's already been an hour amy that was quick (laughs) so so real quick so so tell uh, tell our, our listeners and our viewers where they can uh find your work yeah, for sure. Uh, the easiest place to find it is www.amylawrence.com slash shop. 
There it is. Buy all my stuff right there, amylawrence.com slash shop. You can also head to the, yeah, there it is right there, amylawrence slash. If you click on the books link at the top there and then bookstore is the first one. Yeah, that's it. And that's amylawrence.com slash shop. Everything is available for sale there. It takes a second to load, but there they all are. Wow. Uh, And you can order everything there in print and ebook. Obviously, uh, if you're ordering print from me, then you're getting a signed copy direct from me. And so the shipping may or may not be to your taste. So you can, (laughs) that's okay. I I completely understand that. So you can head over to your, whatever your favorite, um, you know, print seller online is, wherever you're online. but yeah, if you want to grab a signed copy, that's a great way to do it. Or there's their ebooks are available there. The fan kits are all available there as well for the books that have fan kits. Um, you can also head to inkprintpress.com, which is our publishing website, uh, and see everything there laid out by genre and by type. Yep, there we go there. Uh, so again, you can you can shop books, you can shop fan kits, uh, and we've got some book related goodies there. We've got some book themed pins and things up at the moment and we'll, we're going to be adding to that throughout the second half of the year wow. um yeah but otherwise we're available everywhere good books are found so head to your favorite retailer online and we will be there perfect all right so so then i guess amy i will i will i will see you again then on episode 113 right we're gonna keep this pace up huh? it's a date absolutely <laughs> and they're all prime numbers it seems like we're out there those are prime numbers right oh, 53 7393 think I think they gotta be prime numbers. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think so. so. Yeah. Not divisible yeah. by three. I no. don't know. Maybe something like seven. I don't know. Well, 93 has to be divisible by three, then of course. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah, that's divisible by night. Yeah. So oh, I think we yeah, then we we kind of got out of that. But we're every 20 ep- every 20 episodes. We still so. have a nice pattern going, and I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, thank you very much, Amy. Congratulations again on publishing another book, and uh, and and so excited to to uh, to just keep watching and seeing how things go. So you're very kind. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>